listening to Cleaning the Case, a broadcast devoted to peeling back the culture and traditions associated with today's Christian faith through a widow, bride, and marriage theological perspective of Scripture. Welcome. My name is Andy Mendonza, and I will be your host. You know, it's really kind of funny how something will trigger something in your mind, something that that somebody says or an event. I mean, something that you see. um, And that's kind of what led to this episode, which I am calling uh, Tower of Babel, Pentecost, and Forgiveness, which may seem a strange combination, but uh, uh, also it, it might not, right? Um, as I was you know, thinking about doing this episode, uh, kind of getting my mind around what I wanted to say, to share, um, something happened in uh, the United States yesterday that um, really should trigger for most people in this country, Christian and non-Christian alike, uh, it, it being one of the, maybe one of the saddest days um, our country has experienced in modern, in modern history, political or otherwise. And I, I try and stay out of politics, but uh, it just struck me so profoundly and um, that there was uh, what appeared to be an assassination attempt on um, former leaders of this country, including uh, two presidents and a secretary of state. And, um, I, you know, I know it hasn't been revealed uh, who did this or why they did it. Um, it's just the fact that that it happened, that it occurred, uh, and that nobody really seems to be all that shocked by it. Um, there, there have been far less crises uh, occur in this country in my lifetime, and even uh, recent lifetime. I'm I'm 62 years old. Uh, where it seemed like um, things that that were of a much less severe uh, nature uh, kind of felt like the the country came to a standstill. Uh, and if you're in another country, I'm I'm sure there are instances that you can think of that uh, had the same impact. But but this didn't and doesn't seem to have had that effect. Um, it's, it's something that I, that I, I don't, I'm, I'm really kind of speechless. I don't even know how to articulate it. And, uh, but, but maybe, uh, it, it wasn't my intention to bring anything like this into this episode, but, um, the timing, um, seems that, that I can't help but kind of, start out uh, as my introduction uh, to this episode uh, 
bringing this up, that this episode comes right on the heels of, of what has just occurred, even though we don't know who did it or why or what it means completely uh, going forward um, and whether there will be more of this, uh, maybe even uh, with the results being... Um, resulting in, in unimaginable uh, tragedy. Um, you know, I pray, and I, and I, I pray that we all pray uh, that that would not be the case uh, here or in any other nation. Uh, this is not, this is not uh, a focus on just the United States, um, I believe that in Christ I am a citizen of heaven. All who are in Christ are citizens of heaven. Uh, we are already seated with Jesus in a heavenly realm. And those of us who, are, who believe we are citizens of heaven, we are scattered all over the face of the earth. And our... Uh, first priority, our, our, our first loyalty is to our citizenship in heaven, um, to our faith in Jesus, and, and not any uh, national citizenship. So when I say th what I have just said, I, I'm not just wanting to appear that I believe the United States is the center of the world, the universe, of everything. Uh, I don't believe that. Uh, and I believe that all citizens of heaven are considered by God equally, equally loved, equally cared for, uh, equally called to, to love each other. Uh, like it says, love your neighbors as yourselves. Um, and to think more highly of others than we do ourselves. Um, and I know that's not the case. That's very evident that is not the case. But I want to, the passage I want to start out with in this episode is Genesis 11. And, and what, what kind of triggered something in my thoughts was I was standing next to someone and I can't even tell you who it was and and where it was uh, it just it just happened it was almost sub subliminal uh, in the way it connected uh, and I and I thought you know what it triggered is what I began to think about and not you know where I was and who was saying it but someone was saying and I don't even know what the context was but they brought up, kind of in the same thought, the Tower of Babel and Pentecost. And suddenly, I began to see this, this connection, this correlation between the Tower of Babel and what happened there and why it happened and, and Pentecost. And, I, you know, perhaps... If you're listening to this, may, maybe you've made that connection before. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I don't think there's anything new under the sun. I mean, I, I think that uh, God doesn't just speak to any one person about 
one specific thing that nobody else, uh, that he hasn't spoken to anyone else about. So I'm not saying that, but this was new for me. So I, I, I want to share this. And I'm going to start out with Genesis 11. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, before looking at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, I want to bring in Matthew 18, starting with verse 19. Uh, Jesus says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Then Peter came to Jesus, which this is kind of interesting that this, what, what Peter says to Jesus right after this, um, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or, you know, we have to keep forgiving. There's really no end to the number of times that, that we are to forgive uh, because God for God's forgiveness uh, for us is is limitless. But but it's interesting that this is not the only time that um, forgiveness comes up. Uh, and and I know this may seem random. What does this have to do with 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 the Tower of Babel and um, and Pentecost and and hopefully by the time I I finish this uh, it it will all be tied together and and it will make sense uh, but but this is also in Matthew and um, it's talking about prayer beginning with chapter six verse five and when you pray. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. 
Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, or in some translations, Gentiles. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. But then, immediately after, Jesus gives us this prayer. He revisits one very important, crucial part of the Lord's Prayer. Forgiveness, found in verse 12. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Remember what is said later that I read uh, before this uh, in Matthew 18, beginning with verse 19 where he says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. And Peter brings up, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven Basically, as many as are needed. As many times as someone sins against you, you forgive them. Because God says in Matthew 16, if you don't forgive others in the way that you have been forgiven by your Heavenly Father, then He will not forgive your sins. And maybe at this point you're completely confused. What in the world does this really have to do with the Tower of Babel? And especially, what does it have to do with Pentecost? Well, one of the key things that we just took a look at in Matthew in chapter 6 and in chapter 18 is this idea of agreement because that's what we're looking at in Genesis chapter 11. There was one language, a, a common speech. They, they came into agreement. 
to build a city uh, and a tower that, that would reach into heaven, a, a monument to themselves and their own glory. And it, you know, it, it might not, as you read through this, really seem to be such a big deal that um, they were building this city and this tower uh, with, with bricks. And these are bricks made with human hands, human labor, um, human ability. And they used tar for mortar. They didn't use stone, which was, you know, natural and uh, is, is much longer lasting. Bricks are perishable. Uh, you know, there, there are structures that were made out of stone, uh, you know, that have lasted for thousands of years, and, and, and there was no mortar used uh, between the, the individual stones. Um, but but it's, it's the idea that this was all about them and their own abilities, and they're coming together and agreeing on this plan and one that excluded God that was completely for their own glory. Uh, not just for then, but, you know, going into the future. Uh, wanting to be known throughout the world. And it's interesting that when, when God... Uh, scatters them, he confuses their language, and he scatters them throughout the entire earth. The entire world, it says. Uh, he scattered them over the face of the whole earth. I've heard since I've, I first really surrendered my life to Jesus, uh, began to, to follow Jesus to recognize him as Lord and Savior, but also uh, husband and bridegroom. This this idea, uh, this this principle of of coming into agreement. You know, Christians coming into agreement. Uh, let's pray in in agreement with each other. Um, I've heard it over and over and and over again. And you know, I I believe. Uh, it, it's true because, well, you know, Jesus says this in Matthew 18 that uh, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. And that's, well, that's power. That's not the whole story. That's not the whole picture. And, th and that's the point is that we find that there's a condition for God bringing about what we ask him for when we come into agreement. It's in 1 John chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. 
This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. This is where it gets tricky, though. Um, we, I think, all too often lose sight of this idea for coming into agreement and that what we come in agreement to do, that we can have confidence that He hears us and will answer us must be according to His will. Everything that Jesus did was according to His Father's will, not His own. He didn't come to carry out His own will. He came to reveal His Father in heaven and to carry out His will and His alone. And the only time He wavers in that is when he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he is betrayed, and he is praying, and he's crying out to God, and for a moment he says, if this cup can be taken from me, but then he recants immediately and says, not my will, but my Father's will. You know, that picture of Jesus in that moment asking if this cup could be taken away from him which was something of his will own will uh, and not his father's will and then immediately recanting that that temptation God's will has to do with Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But all too often, when we come together as believers, standing on Jesus and Jesus alone as our Savior, and the only way by which we can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, and the promise that we will be with him for all eternity. Be joined with Jesus and, and be in God's kingdom uh, apart from this fallen earth and apart from our fallen bodies uh, is only through Christ. And so when we, we begin with that and then we come together as believers and fellowships and you know churches and ministries or as Christian uh, entrepreneurs or businessmen or uh, political leaders, maybe. Uh, just, you know, any case scenario. And we begin to see what we believe is the fulfillment of God's will, what we would categorize as God's blessing, um, God's prospering of us, whether it's individually or corporately, and it's based all on 
outward for all intents and purposes brick and and mortar derived circumstances and we may think that it is Christ's name that this is all being done in and through and representing and yet we put so many other names on what we do whether it's it's a church or a denomination or an office building or a corporation and the list goes on and on and on whose name is it that we really are putting on what it is that we have come into agreement to do and falsely believed that it was all to God's glory when in reality it was only to man's glory either an individual man or woman or a corporate group of men and women but it's hard for us to believe that because we stand on Jesus and Jesus alone for our salvation the point is people are successful every day believers and unbelievers alike uh, are hugely successful and prosperous based on the ways that we really tend to want to measure success and that's through outward appearing uh, physical realities uh, our possessions our buildings our our cars our bank accounts our church memberships uh, you know we can just go on and on and on but the reality is based on what we see in Genesis 11 uh, when when the Tower of Babel when 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 the city was being constructed unto man to his glory and honor um, they came into agreement and they accomplished it people come into agreement every single day believer and unbeliever alike and are successful but is their success really based on God's will or is it based on the fact that because we belong to God because we believe in Jesus therefore what we come into agreement to do is of God and the evidence of it is our prosperity in effect um, we, we think well because he says you know where two or three are gathered or more if you're in agreement you know I'll hear you and I will grant uh, what what you desire uh, but then in in first john you know it it narrows it down and and it really brings us into a a jesus 
perspective because we have to look at Jesus in all things. He is our model in all things. And that says, if it is according to his will, um, we can come into agreement and be successful outwardly and it not have anything at all to do with God's will. Nothing. Not even one jot or tittle that it has anything to do with God. His kingdom, and especially not the advancement of his kingdom, it really only serves to advance uh, our own kingdom, our own identities, our, our own glory and honor. Let's talk about Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you know yourselves. Skipping down to verse 41, it says, Those who accepted 
his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And listen what what happened with those who accepted the message of Jesus and were baptized. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There is a picture starting out of the the earliest converts gathering together, two or more, coming into agreement. I know it doesn't say that specifically, but they were in agreement. You know, I believe when it says they were in fellowship. They were breaking bread together. They were having all things in common. No one was doing without. No one was rich and had more than they needed, and there were those who were poor and they didn't have enough to feed themselves. It doesn't say that the rich sold everything they had, but it said enough was sold so that no one did without. Needs were met. They were were in agreement. They were modeling their lives after the example of the apostles and the apostles and what they were teaching and what they were modeling was after Jesus. And Jesus came to fulfill his father's will. If it hasn't occurred to you yet, I will point it out. If it has occurred to you, then uh, before this, then forgive me for, you know, talking about something that, that may be more commonly understood or related to uh, than it has been for me. But what what instantly was triggered for me when I overheard this person talking about the Tower of Babel and and Pentecost. And honestly, I cannot even tell you what, what point he was trying to make. This is what I heard. You know, God, after they came into agreement and, and were building a city and building a tower into heaven to glorify themselves, and they were using their own materials, brick and mortar, uh, and then God comes down, uh, scrambles, confuses their language, and, um, and scatters them throughout the world. And Pentecost after Jesus has ascended into heaven and, and is sitting at the right hand of his Father, our Father, uh, in a heavenly sanctuary, 
the Holy Spirit comes uh, at the time of Pentecost. And what happens? Languages that have been scrambled, that have been confused, are suddenly being unscrambled, unconfused. People are coming from, as it says in Acts 2, 5, every nation under heaven. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And it actually lists where all of these places are that they are coming from. You know, the, the apostles are speaking in their own language, but everyone there is hearing it in their language. God is literally unscrambling language that he confused back when he scattered everyone across the face of the earth and confused their languages. When I realized this, you know, my head just kind of exploded because we tend to only focus on what's happening here at Pentecost, uh, speaking in tongues, but everybody hearing it, and, you know, the whole focus then becomes on... Um, the gift of tongues here and wanting to get back to here where all of this happens. But, but God did this. He is making this point that what he did back at the Tower of Babel, he has just undone through Jesus. And what he has undone what he has given to us through Jesus and through his spirit that dwells in us is for us to do what it says in Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, I don't want to take this out of context uh, for what uh, Paul is saying in the rest of this chapter. The, this chapter, uh, well, the book of Ephesians is has been written by Paul to the Gentile church uh, uh, in Ephesus. You know, these, these early Gentile converts. Paul is explaining faith in Jesus, the kingdom of God. Uh, and that there is no longer two separate flesh, Jew and Gentile. The dividing wall has been removed by God because it's God's will that there now not be two separate flesh, just one. And that whereas Gentiles were excluded from the first covenant under the law, they have now been included under the new covenant of grace. 
that the old covenant under the law uh, became obsolete and faded away. That's why he's saying, you know, you were no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens. And, you know, we also have a picture here that God completely, in, in a figurative sense, unscrambles the confusion, uh, the barriers of language and the barriers of, of flesh uh, to now include everyone throughout the entire world, even Gentiles, are included. But what is it that as God's people, as the kingdom of God, we are supposed to come into agreement for? And what is it supposed to look like? What it is that we come into agreement for? What does the kingdom of God look like? Well, according to this, it says it's not talking about brick and mortar. God does not give us any uh, dimensions, uh, any description of a physical building. He says, our building is one that is invisible. And it's built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. You know, and we have that picture of Babel. Those folks coming into agreement. Uh, building a city and this temple unto themselves. Rising up to heaven. We, without brick and mortar, the physical representation uh, to, to claim our own brick and mortar um, efforts are evidence of God's blessing and our glorifying God really does not hold up to what Paul says at the end of Ephesians. What it says in 1 John, that, that we are to come into agreement, but it has to be according to God's will. And we have this incredible picture of what that looks like at the very beginning, starting with Pentecost, when God sends His Holy Spirit, and what He did back when he confused the language and scattered everyone across the earth, when he undoes that and suddenly he unscrambles the language so everyone can hear, so everyone can know the truth, there will be no barriers to who God is and who Jesus is and what he came and did and what we as God's people, as the church, as his pride, coming together, being in agreement, are to look like going forward. 
But is that what we really see today? Whether it's here in the United States, uh, where, where I live, where I'm a citizen, a secondary citizen to my citizenship in heaven, or in any other country uh, around the world. What is it that we have uh, made as our focus? Is it really God's glory according to being carried out according to his will? Or have we really become so deceived and into thinking that what we are producing, uh, the wealth that we are gathering up, the Christian leaders uh, who are some of the wealthiest people in this nation who are flying around in, in private jets, is that really a picture of Pentecost? Is that really a picture of those early converts when their language was unscrambled? Who followed the example of the apostles who gathered together for fellowship and prayer and the breaking of bread and making certain that no one in their midst, not just their individual congregations, back then they weren't very large, uh, but, you know, God dealt with cities. That's why it says the church in Ephesus and the church of Laodicea. And, you know, there's one church. There aren't multiple churches. And, and we have to be concerned not only for all believers within our boundaries of influence uh, in the cities where, where we live and work and worship, uh, but we have to be concerned about fellow citizens of heaven throughout the world that we should be so burdened for those who are without, who are in need. And when I look at what's going on uh, here in, in the, the country of my secondary citizenship, uh, when, when I look at what is happening with those who uh, confess Jesus, profess Jesus, When, when I see who much of the church uh, and what much of the church has yoked themselves to, uh, civil authorities, political authorities, to the point that we have arrived at a day such as what happened yesterday with these assassination attempts. And I have not heard a single outcry coming from God's people. Shock and appall that this could happen. That there is so much hatred uh, in this land, 
and much of it by those who aren't believers, who don't claim Jesus, see it being rooted in those who have call, been called to to love their enemies, to to pray for their enemies, to serve and to not be served, to think more highly of others than we do of ourselves. It reminds me of what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, uh, verse 6. Be careful, Jesus said to his disciples, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And, and later in that passage, they were at first confused by this, but then they realized what Jesus was talking about was, was the teaching of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, those who had authority over the people. Uh, the, the, the church, the believers of the day. You know, we don't realize that spiritual dynamic that Jesus is talking about here, that whoever has authority, who is, ever is at the head, whether it's in a church or an organization or an institution or even the head of a government, especially the head of a government, that, that yeast, you know, it only takes a little bit of yeast to leaven uh, the whole, whole batch, the, the whole loaf. It just permeates throughout. And what happens is blindness, deafness, numbness occurs. Uh, is not something that we are even aware of. It, it gradually, slowly takes us over. You know, deception doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside, from the people that we trust and we believe and who we have given the stamp of approval to and submit ourselves to their authority. That's where deception comes. It doesn't come from the outside, but it begins with being in agreement. It starts with being in agreement. I want to read one final passage in Galatians where, you know, Galatians is Paul talking to the church, this body of believers, about grace. And they're confusing grace with the law. That they received the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, by grace, by God's grace, through faith, placing their faith in him, and it didn't have anything to do with good works or deeds or obedience to the law. But that's what they wanted to do was to have the Spirit, receive the Spirit under grace, the new covenant of grace through faith, uh, but then wanting to put conditions on 
living it out. And, you know, we have done the same thing today. We don't realize we've done the same thing today, but we, we live according to rules and regulations that are prescribed to us based on the fellowships, the, the individual churches, the denominations that we belong to. Uh, for what it looks like to be a good Christian, a faithful, obedient Christian. This is what you have to conform to. But what it is that, that we are is being modeled and we are told to conform to doesn't look like what happened at Pentecost when God unscrambles the language, when everyone hears hears the good news in their own language. And they began to model themselves after the apostles and their teachings, which is based on Jesus, which brings them to prayer, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to ensuring that no one does without to the point of even selling their possessions to give to the poor, to make provisions for the poor. And it sa- as it says in Ephesians that, that the church, the household of faith, is built on this foundation of the apostles with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. He is the guide. He as chief cornerstone, that is how the rest of the foundation is made square. If a foundation is off, if it's not square, then all of the courses that go above it will be off. And that's what we have today. We, we, we have a church today that thinks that it has established itself on the foundation of the apostles with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And if we could see it in a spiritual realm, an unseen realm, we would realize that there is nothing there. There is nothing there because all we have managed to do is erect brick and mortar and call it God's glory, God's blessing. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians, beginning with uh, verse 7 in chapter 5. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Every day as Christ's bride, as followers of Jesus, as those who claim to be the household of faith. We really need to remind ourselves where our first, foremost, the only citizenship that counts is our citizenship in heaven. 
where we're already seated with Jesus, we need to remind ourselves that we are not to be vengeful, that vengeance belongs to God and God alone, that we are to turn the other cheek, that if we live by the sword, we will die by the sword. That Jesus came to serve and not be served, and that is what he modeled for us. That we are to love our enemies and to pray for them. We are to think more highly of others than we do ourselves. We, like John the Baptist, are to become less and less, and Jesus is to become more and more of our identity and purpose and appearance to others for loving unconditionally and accepting others unconditionally in the ways that we have been loved and accepted unconditionally by God because of Jesus. And he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. We are told in Hebrews 13 to come outside the city gate, outside the camp, to bear Christ's reproach, which means to bear his suffering because here we don't have an enduring city but we are to look to the city that is to come the new Jerusalem and yet because we have become so fearful which we know there is no fear in love that perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. And those who fear are not perfected in God's love. Because we are so fearful today as God's people. Which means that we say we trust him. But we really don't. We feel so out of control. We feel so threatened. Our own ways of life. That's what we feel is being threatened. We don't care about anybody else. We don't care what those who don't have what we have or don't know what we know are going through and are doing without. As long as we can preserve our way of life, it seems that we are willing to do almost anything, especially yoking ourselves, unequally yoking ourselves with the civil and political authorities which has no scriptural, biblical, under a covenant of grace foundation. You can't point to a single thing in the New Testament that says that is to be our avenue for transforming 
a broken, fallen world into the kingdom of God. Not the physical world, but those who are spiritual beings. Those who have eternal souls. When the high priest and the religious leaders were unable to carry out Jesus' execution, they were willing to yoke themselves with unbelievers, even with Gentiles who were unclean, who they were not even allowed to go into their homes who were excluded from the Jewish faith, from being citizens in Israel. They were so determined to carry out their own will, what they perceived to be God's will, but were not willing to wait on him to carry out his will. They yoked themselves with the civil and political authorities who did not want to carry out what they were being asked to do. Pontius Pilate did not want to carry this out, this death sentence out, but the religious leaders had no authority to do it. And so they finally forced his hand and he thought that he could wash his hands uh, of what he did uh, by shedding Christ's blood but he couldn't any more than those who were personally responsible for doing it could that's what happens when we yoke ourselves with the civil and political authorities in order to bring about God's kingdom will. That's what we do. We are no different than the high priest and the religious leaders and what they did to yoke themselves, to carry out what they justified in their own minds to be God's will, but it was their will based on what they feared. And they even tried to use fear in order to get Pontius Pilate to execute Jesus, saying that he would be a threat to Caesar. There I have not heard any outcrying from Christian leaders in this country over what took place yesterday. You know, it doesn't matter what side it happened on, what political side or any, whether it was even associated with any political faction uh, in the United States. You know, it needs to be condemned. So much of what's taking place in this country today needs to be cried out against and condemned. But the reason that it isn't 
is for one simple reason, the fear of losing power and control and wealth for that matter. I think there is, is no clearer evidence for that being true than what, what we have witnessed, not just in this country, but around the world, what took place in America yesterday, and maybe what's going to take place going forward. That will result in actual bloodshed and death and things that might just be too horrible for any of us to imagine. And how many of us who, who claim Jesus, who claim to love him with our hearts, minds, and souls, and our neighbors as ourselves, will be culpable for what occurs because of what really, really comes down to our own denial of who Christ really is, who we are really to be in him, what the kingdom of God is really about what the kingdom of God is really supposed to look like. And because of our citizenship in heaven, that we have, in effect, forsaken. We have brought down upon ourselves and are bringing down upon ourselves the consequences of our own inaction, our own lack of love, and maybe most importantly, our own unwillingness to forgive others in the same way that we have been forgiven by God. And finally, I just want to end with two passages of Scripture. One from Mark chapter 3 and the other from Luke chapter 11. Mark 3, beginning with verse 24. And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Luke eleven, seventeen. Jesus says again, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house will fall. This idea of desolation, according to Strong's Concordance, means to make desolate, lay waste, to ruin, bring to desolation, to despoil, strip of treasures, 
I mean, is it really so hard to see today what is going on that, yes, God's people, the household of faith, uh, there, there has been division in it for almost as long as, as this country has been in existence. Um, the the infighting between uh, believers of different denominations and different churches that all claim to believe Jesus and yet um, there is no unity, not to mention uh, the division that exists between economic classes, social classes, uh, and especially um, racial divides how can we believe that we can stand when there are these kinds of divisions and we are at a point now where where the divisions are so deep and wide that that Christians those who claim Jesus are standing on what they have come to believe are legitimate sides in their hearts and minds um, but are in opposition to each other and these these divisions these divides have nothing to do with Jesus in the kingdom of God but we have been deceived into believing that they are that we are more right than anyone else. And yet, this divide is not just along denominational lines, um, doctrinal lines. The, the, the most profound divisions exist along political lines. Believing that that God is political, believing that political parties can have anything to do with God, especially for bringing about His will on earth as it is in heaven. You can't hold up what's going on today, what we have come to believe today. You can't hold it up next to Jesus and find Jesus anywhere in it. When are we going to stop trying to repent for what this country has done and start repenting for what we as God's people, as the household of faith, as those whose citizenship is in heaven where we are already seated with Jesus? When are we going to recognize and accept what it is that we have done and repent. Amen. You've been listening to Pleading the Case with Andy Mendonca, posing the question, is the church today the pure and undefiled bride that God desires us to be? Or, like Eve, have we been deceived and our minds led astray from our pure and sincere devotion to Christ?
Until next time.